I am just so delighted that you are joining and connecting with us today. And it is the last week of our series entitled Hope in an Upside Down World. And I have a treat, super surprise for you today. I've invited a dear friend and colleague of mine to bring the closing message to this uh, series. Her name is Nancy Ortberg. Nancy is the Chief Executive Officer of an organization called Transforming the Bay with Christ, where I get to serve uh, on the board with her. And she's brought hundreds of churches and Christian businesses together to do some real incredible work in the area of foster care education uh, and homelessness. You're going to hear a little bit more about that uh, in her message. She's a former teaching pastor at the famed Willow Creek Community Church for eight years. She's also a co-founder, a, a partner of Teamwork 2, a business and leadership consultant firm, along with Patrick Lunciani. Uh, and she's the author of two really great books. One is called Looking for God, An Unexpected Journey Through Tattoos, Tofu, and Pronouns. And the second one, Unleashing the Power of Rubber Bands, Lessons in Non-Lineral Leadership. So you already get a sense of the creativity that she approaches her teaching with. So get ready. It's going to be super exciting. And this is a great time for you. If you're watching on Facebook, just go ahead and share. Push the share button and share this with your family and friends, our worship gathering. And if you are watching by way of website, share the link to our website. Now, let's get ready as Nancy teaches us about finding hope in unexpected places. Well, good morning, New Beginnings Community Church. I am delighted to be with you. My name is Nancy, and I am finishing up what has been a really remarkable series called Hope in an Upside Down World. And I don't think it takes much thinking to realize that our world is kind of upside down right now and that we're all looking for hope. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do as you're listening to this. Would you think about something in your life where you need God's hope? Just think about what that might be and hold it in your heart and in your mind as we go through these next few minutes together. And hopefully these words will help you on your journey with God to find hope. Perhaps it's actually when the world is upside down that our journey to find hope is at its best. Because we really are in need of it in circumstances like that. I think a lot of times we look for hope in more superficial things, in circumstances, in possessions, in successes. And Jesus was pretty clear that that's not where our ultimate hope is, that we have to dig a little deeper. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Sometimes they are the method of which God helps us to have hope to hang on to, but they're not our ultimate hope. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Verse 32, do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This verse is right on the heels of Jesus saying, if you're greedy and you store up possessions, you need to understand that they will corrode and rust and moth will get them and they will be gone. And what Jesus puts in place of those things that we often find ourselves hoping in is his kingdom. Billy Graham actually talked to one of his biographers just a few years before he died, and he said, I have two big regrets. I have lots of little regrets, and I have to say I admire anybody who will admit they have regrets. But he said his two biggest regrets was, first of all, he felt like he was gone from his family too much. But the second thing was that he felt like for too long he mistook the American dream for the kingdom of God. And the American dream of upward mobility and success 
is very different than the kingdom of God. And Jesus reminds us, this is where our hope is. One of the psalmists put it like this in Psalm 62, verse 5 and 6. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Our ultimate hope is not in things or circumstances. It's in God. So how do we go along that journey of finding hope? When I was in junior high school, I remember in my history book, a particular page, and we were studying the 49ers during the gold rush. And there was this picture that took up about a third of the page, and it had these huge gold nuggets and then other pieces of ore that had obvious gold streaks through them. This was the treasure that everybody was looking for. And then when you turned the page, in a little corner, taking up very little of the page, was a picture of one of the 49ers, one of the men who had given up family and stability from back east and come to the west in search of this treasure and they were emaciated looking and they were dirty and they were tired because they had spent themselves looking for this treasure. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure. And when you find it, you go back out with great joy and sell everything that you have to come back and buy the field in which you find the treasure. That's what we're looking for today. We're becoming miners of hope. There's a journey with God that's hard work, but will take us eventually to this bedrock hope that we're looking for. When I was nine or 10 years old, my mom and dad and I used to go to a ranch in Arizona every summer for a vacation. It was right up against the New Mexico mountains. It did not look like Arizona. It had alpine meadows and pine trees and lakes and fish full of, uh, lakes and rivers full of trout and horses to be ridden and great homemade food and about 10 cabins. It was actually a working cattle ranch. And in the summer, they took on guests to make extra money. The cabins probably had electricity for two hours every day. One of the first nights we were there, I was out on the porch with my dad at night, and I don't remember what we were talking about. But the longer we were talking into the night, my eyes kept looking up into the sky and then back at my dad. And after the third or fourth vision cast looking up, I said to my dad, what is that? And he paused for a minute. I think he was hoping I would ask. And he said, Nancy... That's the Milky Way. And there are between 100 and 400 billion stars in that one galaxy in which Earth sits. And what you're looking at right now looks like a white splash of paint across the sky, but it's actually many, many individual stars. I had never seen it because I grew up in Los Angeles where there's lots of lights that interfere with that. In 1988, there was an organization called the Dark Skies Association that got formed, and they have 133 protected places around the globe, and they protect them from light pollution so that the dark skies can give us the gift of wonder, that when we slow down long enough and allow our eyes to adjust and patiently wait, we see a sky that's actually 
full of stars and constellations and clusters of stars and comets and shooting stars and meteors, all these things which our eyes quickly don't see unless we stop long enough and let our eyes adjust. In Romans 8, chapter 24, Paul is talking about how our outward body is decaying and everything that we had hoped in is fading away. And then he writes this, for in this hope, speaking of Jesus, in this hope we were saved. And then he goes on to say this, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. So how do we go mining for hope in the dark, in an upside down world, believing that that's exactly the circumstances we need to patiently find the very thing that we're looking for? Because here's the truth. Most often hope arrives in a different form than we might be expecting it. And the danger is that we miss it. It's certainly true of what happened to Jesus. For thousands of years, God's people were imagining a political ruler or a conquering Messiah. And when he showed up in an obscure village in a manger, it threw everybody off. Everybody overlooked it. People failed to see what was right in front of them. So if it's possible to do that with Jesus, I want to take a look at today at three different things, three different ways that hope can come to us that we might be in danger of overlooking it. And the first is this. Hope often shows up in small things. Now here's the problem with that. If you're like me, I don't want small things. I want big things. I have dreams. I have things that I hope for that encompass large quantities of people and circumstances. And I'm looking for big. When Jesus says there's a disproportionate impact of hope in very, very small things. This is the language of the kingdom. And it's so easy to miss it. Jesus says that I am the salt of the earth. That you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says that you are the light of the world, that the kingdom is like yeast and seeds. And instead of talking about big things, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about very little minuscule things that would be easy to overlook. But he says that's where the kingdom is, and that's where we should be looking for hope. Rarely do you sit down at a restaurant, uh, because of COVID, but rarely when you do sit down at a restaurant, do you remark on the quality of the salt. Rarely when you eat a piece of bread, do you imagine how many, many, many little balls of yeast went into making this bread. We take it for granted, but it serves such a magnificent purpose. The mustard seed. I had a good friend a few years ago that came back to faith in Christ, and she was so full of guilt for all the years she had spent away and so full of guilt for all the things that she had done that she wasn't proud of and so embarrassed about how small her faith was. And I bought her a little bowl of mustard seeds. I said, you know, just stick one of those underneath your fingernail when you go to work in the morning and it'll fall out of there within a few minutes, but that's okay. Just pull it out and roll it around and remind yourself, that's all. That's all it takes. And sometimes in the dark, it is taking the time to sit patiently and wait so that those small things 
can come into our line of vision and we can be able to see them for the very harbingers of hope that they are. The organization that I work with is called Transforming the Bay with Christ, and I started with them about five years ago. It has a huge scope for the 11 counties, 256 cities that are in our Bay Area. And how do we see what's happening in the kingdom of God and bring those leaders and people together so that it exponentially grows? And it, everybody told me when I started this job how dark the Bay Area was. Imagine my surprise in those first 18 months when I drove across five bridges, three bridges, seven bridges in a day and found little points of light all around the Bay Area. God had been at work for years in the Bay Area, but it took a new set of eyes to see it. I ran into a couple of churches whose senior citizens and retirees had read about the fact that if a child in school does not hit reading level by third grade, they never catch up and it impacts their success into the future. And so they said, we have time. And these churches had small groups of retired people who were tutoring and reading to on a regular basis, kindergartners, first graders, and second graders, with the hope that by the time they hit third grade, they would be at reading level. I ran into churches who have looked at the homeless problem in the Bay Area, which is vast, and many of them from a 22-acre plot where they're envisioning putting a whole village of tiny homes on for homeless, to a number of smaller churches that say, we only have room for five or six tiny homes, but we want to make them available for homeless single moms, and we want to help them. There's a lot going on in the kingdom of God in the Bay Area. There's a church near Golden Gate Park in the city of San Francisco. And because they have proximity to Golden Gate Park, I've been with the pastoral team as they've walked in the park and they know the homeless by name and they know their stories. And that's not making headlines and you may not read about it anywhere or see it on the news or scroll through in your feed, but it's happening. And it's a small thing, but it means the world to the people that are the recipients of it. There are faith groups in Apple and Facebook and Google and Salesforce, just to name a few. Small gatherings weekly of devoted Christ followers who are praying together at that intersection of faith and work and taking seriously God's call to be discipled by Jesus in their workplace. A couple of weeks ago in this series, Pastor Renee Schleffer talked um, from Santa Cruz and talked about how the various pastors' networks in the Bay Area were rallying together to meet the needs of people who have lost their homes in the Santa Cruz fires. And that's even started up again as of late in the last two days over the new Napa fires that are now also threatening Santa Rosa. There's a church planter our team met with and prayed with last week. A church planter. Three weeks ago, he and his family and a small group of people decided COVID would be a good time to plant a church. Unbelievable. That's hope. And I got to see it face to face. There's an organization run by a Christian up in San Francisco who uses volunteers to meet with the homeless and see if some of them would be available to tell their story on an iPhone camera and then they post it to Facebook. And they have reunited scores of homeless people with family members who had lost track and didn't know where they were. That's hope. 
in the East Bay and now spreading really throughout the whole Bay Area, there are different organizations that are looking at foster care. Anywhere from foster to adopt, to dropping groceries off for foster families, to learning how to babysit for parents of foster kids, to working with foster kids when they age out of the foster care system. And all of these organizations are run by people of faith. And they're meeting together so that nobody falls through the cracks, so that in the future, every church will be involved in the care of foster kids all around the Bay Area. There's a group of pastors that meet once a month called If My People, and for half an hour on Zoom and Facebook, they pray for the Bay Area so that during COVID, people will see these small things happening. The Bay Area is not dark. Just have to let your eyes adjust long enough. So what is it in your life? What small things is God trying to get you to see where he's saying, here's a piece of hope that you're looking for right now? Here's a little bit of manna this morning. It's just enough to get you through the day, but it will get you through the day. And small things are often where the greatest hope lies. The second place or circumstance in which we need to get better at being miners of hope is hope almost always requires waiting. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. Not only can I be impatient, but I can wear my impatience as a badge of honor. I want things fast. I don't want things slow. And over and over again in scripture, there are verses and stories that point to waiting. In Romans 8, chapter 25, Paul says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's a passage in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, that says about Abraham, who became this paragon of faith and hope. It says, against all hope, Abraham believed in hope and so became the father of many nations. Abraham waited for scores of years between when God promised him offspring and when he actually got it. And those scores of years went into years of his wife being barren and him being too old to father a child. There is hope in waiting. Since Abraham, the Israelites landed in Egypt as a way of emerging from a famine, and it looked like good news, but what was good news turned into 400 years of waiting. I'm sure many of them had given up before Moses came on the scene. Reluctant Moses. And then after those 400 years, they were in a hurry to get to the promised land, get back home, and it was 40 more years. And then fast forward, and there was the Babylonian exile of 70 years, where again they were out of their homeland. And all of these periods of time must have worn on people. They must have been hopeless. But I'll bet there were a few that were miners of hope. They put their headlamp on and got their pickaxe out and dug deep to find the bedrock of hope is God and his goodness. And then there was the intertestamental period when the Old Testament in the book of Malachi comes to a close. And there is silence for 400 years. And then Jesus pops on the scene, not looking like what people thought the Messiah would look like. And what did those people do for 400 years? Who was able to keep their hope 
in God through all of the waiting, in silence, in patience, and in trust. And maybe that thing you held in your heart at the beginning of this message that you said you need hope for, maybe waiting is part of the journey. And then the third thing, you're not going to like this one either, because I sure don't. But scripture is very clear that most of hope emerges from suffering. I don't want it from suffering. I want to read about it in a book. I want to take notes on a sermon. I want to hear somebody else's story and osmose it into mine and get hope that way. And yet in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 to 4, Paul says this, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, Paul says, does not disappoint. I have a good friend who has taught a lot of men's Bible studies in the Bay Area, and he will often ask two questions. How many of you in this room would look back in the rearview mirror of your life and see that it was in times of suffering and pain where you grew the most, and eventually you ended up feeling the most deeply connected to God, and almost every hand goes up. And then he says, keep those hands up. I want you to raise the other hand if you, now moving into the future, avoid those circumstances like the plague. Yeah. And the very thing we long for, this intimacy with God, this belief that there is a bedrock of hope beyond circumstances and possessions and outcomes and relationships, but the way through it is through suffering. I find it fascinating, the book of Psalms, in Hebrew means praise. But numerically, there are more psalms of lament than there are psalms of praise. Why is that? I believe it's because the way to authentic praise, not superficial praise, not mindless praise, is through cement, through suffering, <laughs> through cement, which often feels like suffering. It's through lament. It's through being honest with God that my heart is at a dead end that I have nowhere else to go, and that in suffering I often find myself, eventually over time, finding the God that I'm looking for, who promises to always be with me. And I mine for hope in suffering, like that miner with a pickaxe who is so excited to have the gold, but the way he looks shows me that he had to work very, very hard to get it. And so in the small things, when really what I want are the big things. In waiting when I really want a fast track. And in suffering when I prefer to learn it the easy way. This is where hope lies. Hope that you can count on. Hope that will accompany you to those last breaths of your life because that's the only hope that really matters, that hope, because that's the only one that's true and real and means something. And so we have to back up from that kind of hope that can get me through death to meet Jesus face to face and figure out in my life, how do I access that kind of hope? And then the last thought I'd love to leave all of us with myself so deeply included is as we go on that journey, 
and God fills us little by little with hope, how do we then extend that and make that available to other people? How do we give the gift of hope to others? There's a great passage in the first chapter of Romans where Paul says this, I long to come and see you so that I can impart some strength to you. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Even the Apostle Paul was saying that he could be mutually encouraged by the small, young faith of the Romans as they shared their journey together. And so I wonder, as you ask God for that thing in your life that you need hope for, as you get it in small ways and through waiting, and in the midst of suffering, when it begins to solidify enough, how do you share that with someone else? Because hope is contagious. Uh, years ago, in another lifetime, I was a nurse. And I remember my second uh, area of nursing was the emergency room. And I worked the 3 to 11.30 shift in one night, very late at night, like 11.31 and I was so tired. The new shift came on board and the doctors were hearing the report from one of the nurses and I was waiting to go home because, did I mention, I was tired. And one of the doctors looked at me real quick and he said, Nancy, while I finish getting report, would you admit that new patient in that room? Did I mention I was tired? Because inside, here's what was going on in me. Me? You pick me. There's seven other nurses here. Why me? I'm tired. Did you not look on the schedule and notice that this is my fourth shift in a row? I want to go home. I want to get in the bathtub. I want to read something mindless. I want to go to sleep. But on the outside, I said, I'd be glad to. Because I've been a Christian long enough to know that you sin inside where nobody can see it. Not on the outside. So I went into this patient's room, and I took a very quick physical. I asked her some questions. She was in her late 20s. Her husband and two young children had gone up to Mammoth for the weekend. She had to stay back an extra day because of her work schedule. She had the flu. And I remember thinking, you have the flu. You don't go to the emergency room when you have the flu. You go to the doctor the next day. You call a friend and say, what do I do if I have the flu? I was pretty frustrated. I'm not sure how much of that I communicated, but I got done taking the history and physical and I came out ready to go home and the doctor said, could you wait just a few more minutes? I wanna run a blood test. And when the blood test comes back, you can go home. Sure, I'd love to do that. And inside, I just kept thinking about myself. A couple minutes later, the doctor called me over to a fax machine. For any of you younger than 40, you can Google it. It is a big machine where paper comes out of it, and instead of the lab calling you on the phone to give you the results, the paper actually gives you the values. And the doctor called me over. And by the third or fourth line that we read, it was clear she did not have the flu. She had fulminating leukemia. That woman never left the hospital. That night, I called her sister who called her husband. She remained in the intensive care unit for six more weeks. I clocked out, but I stayed until three in the morning when her sister came. Because God had given me an opportunity right in front of me as a nurse 
to serve somebody, to offer her hope. And I was so caught up in thinking about myself, I almost missed it. Pastor Herman said recently in this series, is God your instrument in life to get what you want out of it? Or are you God's instrument? And honestly, if I wasn't so old, I'd have that tattooed somewhere on my body. Such a great phrase. That night, I wanted God to be an instrument in my life. Get this patient through quicker. Let the doctor pick somebody else. And when the news faced me that this woman was in desperate need of hope, and I do believe God had asked me to pay attention to her, I did. For the next six weeks, every time I had a shift, I would come early or stay late and go up. And I eventually met her husband and her children and was with them at her bedside when she passed at 29 years old. We are given hope not just for ourselves, but to turn around and give it to others. Perhaps one of the most remarkable moments of hope was in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. When Jesus hung between two thieves on a cross and one of them mocked him and the other one began to ask questions and feel bad about what he had done with his life. And Jesus' response was not one of condemnation, but was one of great hope. And Jesus said to him, truly today, you will be with me in paradise. Right now, in the blink of an eye, that's bedrock hope. That's a journey of our lives to be miners of hope, not the easy way, but to be looking in the small ways, in the patient ways, in the ways of suffering, to find God's hope. Let's pray. God, I just don't believe there's any of us, myself included, listening to these words that doesn't need hope in some form from you. And I pray that our eyes would be open that we would move slowly enough in this world for our eyes to adjust to the many ways that you're trying to show us you're present, you are here, you are good. And therein lies hope. I thank you for New Beginnings Community Church and the ways in which they inwardly and outwardly are miners of hope. And I pray that they would strengthen them as they do this in their own lives and in their communities and all around the Bay Area and beyond. I pray that you would bless Pastor Hamilton and his leaders and elders, that this church would be salt and light and yeast and seed and trust that those little things will bloom into great hope throughout the entire Bay Area and beyond. Because of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Thank you for having me. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. My goodness. Thank you for such an amazing message. And thank you for taking the time to share with our community. It's super, super. It's a super blessing to me and to our community. Listen, guys, uh, here's the question we all got to deal with now. What's the next step we're going to take as it relates to this message? There's a connection card that's popping up uh, it, both in the Facebook chat as well as at, on our website. And it's also available in our app. And you've got a number of possible next steps that you can take, including saying yes to Jesus as a Jesus follower, as well as you want some more information. I want you to pay close attention, and I want to challenge you to decide on one of those next steps. 
As a part of our next steps, we have a message response. And Nancy has framed a question that is actually a challenge to each of us. And if you would accept this challenge, I want you to simply check yes on the message response. Here's the question that she's framed. To whom will I extend hope this week? If you will accept that challenge, if they're finding someone to extend hope to this week, check yes. Lastly, uh, but certainly not least, there's the reflection question that I want to make sure that we are all wrestling with. So take out your phone camera, take a picture of it, and we're going to leave it up a few minutes after this segment. Here's Here's the reflection question. Lean in now, listen. How might I currently be missing the hope God wants for me because, all right, I'm not paying attention to small things, I'm too impatient, or I want to avoid suffering. Now, if you want to be notified whenever we go live, make sure you press the notification bell and make sure you press all.